0: You're
1: drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello everybody and welcome to the world of the yeah. We are the Lanky Guys. Yeah, you bet we are. First and
0: uh, and, days, and uh, this podcast is sponsored by Scott's Hair today. What's it doing? I haven't showered <laughs> in, in six days. <laughs> it's, it looks like that.
1: <laughs> no, I showered on Sunday.
0: Oh, yeah, whatever yeah. day it is now. Yeah, it's just it's just got this one wave in the back. It looks like um, oh, yeah. you know that like Japanese painting of waves that are like cresting. Oh yeah, is that yeah, what it looks yeah, like? Yeah, that's I the, love like, that painting. The, the, the well, this should hair. be bringing you peace then. It does. Do you <laughs> want a little
1: sand thing with a rake? <laughs> <laughs> you can work on. Uh, you could do it with my hair. That's, oh, I guess that's called a comb. <laughs> <laughs> now that yeah, I think I think, it I think
0: I think we could probably get sand out of your hair. Maybe, dude. You I- know what? I, I, I have to say that I totally had an awesome time
1: doing our podcast last week at Kamboy That was a fun podcast. Everybody, You have no idea the amount of feedback people have received. Our counselors at Kamboy have received about that podcast. Really? Everybody heard that podcast. Dude. That's, it's so funny. Do you hear about... Yeah. They, they were at a church, a local church, and um, it was like a daily mass, and they all showed up in the priest at the end he's like all right spill it where are you all from?" like <laughs> there's this huge horde of young people at daily mass he's like where are you all from and somebody was like oh we're from camp boy and he's like what does that mean <laughs> and so they told but then uh afterwards like a bunch of parishioners were like oh we heard about your ministry on the Linky guys podcast because we listened to it whoa and, like, and they got super excited like, scott's famous yeah <laughs> so they were super pumped oh man we're back in the studio today <laughs> such as it is. Uh,
0: such as it is. I, mm-hmm. I clean the studio radically. It's beautiful. I know It's
1: there's... it's looking lovely. Thank you very much. It really is. Do we have any shout outs today? Uh we sure do. Um Pinterest sent us lots of <laughs> <laughs> shout outs. Hey, did you read the um did you read the story that Father uh Father Goroff Shroff from Georgia sent us? Tell us tell me about it. Did you re- you not read this? Okay, so I'll I'll well I might just read it because it's okay. it's a pretty good story. Okay. All right. So, Father Peter and Scott, I've been listening to your podcast for months. Da-da-da. Seminarian friend introduced me. It's fantastic. Da-da-da-da-da. Okay. So, I had a wedding today. So, this guy's in Georgia. I had a wedding today and at one of the most solemn moments of the mass, just before I'm about to give the beaming newly married couple Holy Communion, a sound emanates from somewhere in my vestments. The sound was Scott Powell's voice. <laughs> I was utterly baffled. I knew it had. I knew I had my cell phone on me, but I knew it was silenced and in airplane mode. Utterly mortified, I reached through the layers and pulled out my phone. Somehow through the lock screen, the podcast had restarted from where I had paused it. There was a big round of chuckles from the congregation. I'm not entirely sure how how it happened, but it did. I had to let you all know that you crashed a wedding, but you didn't get any of the alcohol. So, <laughs> which is always a bummer.
0: Oh my gosh, that is isn't hilarious? that great? I love that. I
1: really enjoyed that. I also one more shout out request. I want to give a shout out um, to a listener named Kirsten in Virginia who just entered the church on May 30th. Oh, which is super exciting. So congratulations, Kirsten, and her sponsor Elizabeth Yay. sponsored this shout out. This. Shout out is sponsored by Elizabeth from Virginia. To Kirsten. To Kirsten. What's That's up? all I got. Oh, and Ben Acosta, as I was leaving camp this morning, shouted out from the high line, roped up in a harness. Give me a shout out on the podcast today. <laughs> so to Ben Acosta, <laughs>
0: here's to you. That's awesome. And it's also Emily Buss's birthday today. Emily
1: Buss's birthday. Yeah. Everybody birthday calls bu- her. Birthday
0: e- Bus. They call her e Bus. I call her E-Break. I don't know why, just because I like (laughs) e-brake. Oh, the e-brake, the emergency brake. I get it now. I'm caught up. Yeah, that's how. That's how you do really aggressive uh, donuts in. Oh, don't I know it? Oh, don't you know it? Oh man, (laughs) don't
1: tell my mom. But sometimes, in my friend Scott Parr's old 1978 Suburban, we'd take it to the parking lots and yank on the parking brake and (laughs) pile like ten of us in the back. (laughs) It was the best.
0: Anyway. Anyway, uh, we are in the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. You better believe we are. And our first reading today is from Job, chapter 38, verse 1, and then we skip a few and we <laughs> go to 8 through
1: 11. Yes, indeed. Job, Job, Job. We haven't met in Job in... Uh, nice, jarb. We, nice jarb. Nice jarb, Jorb. Derb. <laughs> have we met, Have we talked about Job in this po- I'm sure we must have. It's been three years.
0: Dude, we've got to have talked about Job. I'm sure like, we have. But we're going
1: to talk about him again. <laughs> okay. Okay, Job... Uh, our responsorial psalm is from Psalm 107, verses 23 through 24, 25 through 26, 28 through 29, 30 through 31, and the response itself is from verse 1b. 1b, One 1b, One not
0: two bs to or be three or bs. Two b. Oh, that's <laughs> good. And then our second reading is from Turn. Second Corinthians. We are in chapter five, verses 14 through
1: uh, 17. Indeed. Oh, nice. I just opened a Bible, uh, well, a study Bible that I found Scott Hahn's little autograph in. I didn't know that was in there. Dude, that's really cool. Did I grabbed he... this from the St. Thomas Aquinas Library.
0: Oh, no kidding. So,
1: there he is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Dude, Scotty. Used to Scotty Dude, that's Hahn.
0: another ski Scott that is profound in the scriptures.
1: Yeah. You mean is, is, is in addition to me? Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We have uh, our chaplain of at Camboy this week is Father Scott Trainer, And someone's sang a, a song about Father Scott and regular Scott, which I thought was funny. <laughs> okay. All right. Our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And that's the readings. That's Good night, readings. everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming. In. And so we're, let, let's jump into it. I love joke. that joke for some reason.
0: I don't even know why. I
1: stole that one from the car talk guys. Whenever uh-huh. they get a question that they can't answer, they're like, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> like is it. that how you feel about the readings today? No. Well, a tiny bit. Me too, a little bit. A little bitty bit. All right, let's talk about
0: Job, shall we? Yeah, dude, that's... um. I have to say, Job is one of those weird books that is, like, on the edge of despair. Mm. Like, it, it's kind of like... Um, it's so raw emotionally that you're kind of like listening and you're like, is this okay? Like, yeah. And I still don't know
1: if it is okay or not. I don't. Just it's a hard book. It's, it's one of those books we talk. okay, people toss around Job way too much and like, oh, suffering, which is good, and da 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 da. They've never actually read Job, which here okay, here's here's my I so I did a little bit of studying on Job, which is not the book I'm most familiar with in the world. Okay. So you get you know the story, right? So Job, he's this guy. What is it? How does it begin? Like God and Satan are kind of having this bet.
0: And he's he's like, Yeah, you're I bet you that uh anybody who has bad fortune in their lives is gonna turn away from you god and and he and he's like nope he's like he's like what about your servant job and he's like okay i give you permission to do that yeah let's see and he lets it happen and he lets it happen which is like totally weird man i really don't understand it's strange
1: i i don't think we can understand well okay so that's the point of the book though and that's what i've come to the conclusion of so he suffers all these things why does god allow this happen i don't know all these friends show up and they're like, God hates you. You've done terrible things. You know, what have you done? Your sin. They're just, and they're just terrible, giving terrible advice. And then you kind of, so it's been said that our reading this week is actually the climax of the entire book. So for most of the book, God is silent. Yes. There's that little Absolutely. kind of discourse he has at the beginning. And then Job goes through all these things and his friends are kind of constantly questioning, where is God? What have you done? What's you know, what's happening? But God is mysteriously silent and chill until chapter 38. And it's the moment that God speaks out of out of this storm, right? Um kind of breaking the the silence um to, to, Job's been asking... Bre- where breaking we're, the wind? <laughs> why? Why? Oh, why did you do that? I don't know, because he spoke out of the whirlwind? He did. Yeah, that's true. He did. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Job wants to be vindicated, right? So here's the thing. Job wants to be vindicated and have God say, no, look, Job is the best. Job is in the right. Job is awesome, right? His friends want Job to be reproved and be told that, no, Job stinks. Job's terrible. Job deserves all this and God basically does neither. It doesn't he doesn't show up and be like you're vindicated, Job, you're the best. You've suffered, you've passed the tests, you know, you've won the game that I've put you through. And he also doesn't come and say, no, you're terrible. You deserve this. It's because you did a B and C in your past. He yeah. basically comes and says, who the heck are you to know what I'm doing? Yeah. And that's the answer that we're sort of left with. Yeah. God basically saying, you have no idea. What you're talking about in any way, <laughs> which is I mean, this is sort of what makes this book, if if really delved into, I think one of the greatest literary masterpieces in the world. I mean, it is the inspired word of God, but it also it is also just a brilliant piece of literature, um, true literature, not you know not myth, not uh, fictional but because it speaks to this deep problem that we really don't know. You ask the question, why does God allow all this to happen? Why why does he do that? Yeah. He never gives you that answer. Right. If if we were to find the answer to why God did this in the book, which is what the book is asking for. It spends the whole 37 chapters trying to figure out why has God Oops. done this. Yeah. And I feel like it would be a cheat and a cop out to answer that question. Yeah. Cuz there's no way we ever can answer that question. That's sort of what Job and Job's conclusion once God you know says who who are you and that's what our reading is all about god addressed job out of the storm and said you know, who shut the doors within the sea when it burst forth from, from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment. Basically, where were you when I created all that is in the universe?
0: Which is the first part of, of uh, 38. I mean, it's, he's like, he's like we, we know that passage. Who has actually measured out the world? Who was there when he put, put its span? Like it, it really goes into like all of this, that, that exact sense of like, yeah.
1: dude, you don't know. And the beauty, the, the, the ending of the book, so basically God gives this speech to Job. Um, he gives a second speech in which he kind of recounts his mighty deeds. And Job finds his answer. It's in chapter 42. He finally finds the answer to his questions, which are twofold. And I love it's It's kind of not how you expect this book to end based on everything that's happened so far. But Job's conclusion is it's twofold. Number one, he says, yeah, I did speak without understanding. I said a bunch of things. I got angry. I had these conversations. I don't understand. That's the, That's my conclusion. And then secondarily, he says, but I've seen God. I don't understand him. I don't understand what he's doing, but I've gotten an insight into him. I've mm-hmm. witnessed the one true living God. And that um, is the only proper human response to suffering, I think. You it, It's so easy, and there's so many. I can't, I can't imagine even you as a, a pastor. You know, you deal with people and people who are mourning and you do funerals and you, you, you have to deal with all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And surely, you know, that you can't be a good pastor by giving good, trite little answers. No like, oh, way. this is why you're suffering. Here's no. the answer. It's the, the, the only answer is, I don't know why. Well, we'll get to the gospel in a minute, but I think no. it, it really, you know, there was uh, uh, somebody I know, you know, had a, had an accident um, and they lost their child this last week. In a, in a really weird fluke accident. And you got to ask this question, why Why did that happen? Yeah. And there's no good answer. And I've been racking my brain for the last week. There's no good answer to that. There's no reason this should have happened. There's no logic to it. There's no reason that this 11-year-old boy shouldn't be on this earth anymore. But I don't understand. Yeah. There is probably a reason that I just don't get, and I probably never will. And I hope that in the midst of that, I can still see God's face. That's yeah. the idea. And that's really the idea of the Gospels. When the, uh, and we'll get to it in a minute, but when the, the disciples, it's basically Jesus sleeping on the boat during this huge storm. And the disciples are like, Why aren't you doing something? Yeah. And so often in our lives, that's the response. That's the yelling we want to give to God. When we're suffering something or someone we know is suffering or we're going through this or that, we want to, it seems like God's asleep on the bow of the boat. Yep. And we're like, Why don't you wake up? Why don't you fix this? Do something. Yeah, And we have to realize. What Job realizes, wow, there's more to this than I can ever imagine. Yeah. And it's enough for me that I've seen God. And then, and this is the story of the saints. I gave a little talk this morning up at camp, a little reflection on Blessed Chiara, um, Luca Badano. Do you know anything about her? She's just becoming, slowly becoming one of my favorite saints. Yeah. This 17 year old girl, she got this debilitating bone disease. She was, she was this girl, this bright young girl. She, she died in 19. No. Did she die in eighty seven? Is that right? Oh, that or sounds right. I maybe mean, something like
0: from, from, the, from the pictures. She's, she's recent. Eighties,
1: like, eighties, yeah. and nineties is yeah. when this girl lived. Which is, I mean, talking about a recent saint. Yeah. Like she was this kid, who just normal kid. Everybody loved her. She played tennis. She drank cappuccinos. Like she was just living her life. Everybody loved her. She gets this debilitating disease, and instead of of sort of sitting and sulking and mourning for herself. She turns everything into this song of joy for God. And people will come and visit her in the hospital and they're to cheer her up, and they all leave, and they're like, "Well, we went to cheer her up, but she's actually changed us. <laughs> like we're totally different now. And at one point, the Archbishop, the Cardinal of, of Turin or something went to visit her. and he's like, "I heard about this teen teenage girl in the hospital that everybody blowing everybody's mind. What is it about you?" And she's like, "You know what? I just try to love Jesus as much as I can, and that's that's enough for me." And so it's this idea that when you, this is what made her a saint though. And this is what's so profound to me in light of today's readings. She is suffering through this profound storm that she saw no hope on the horizon of. So she said, you know what? I'm just going to have a big smile on my face. I'm going to offer it back to God and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to try to bring people joy and smiles through it. And now she's going to be a saint that's remembered for thousands of years from here on after. Because of that seemingly just insignificant act. But that's actually what made her a saint. It's taking something that seems meaningless, that seems a totally useless suffering, and taking it and transforming it, and like throwing it back in Satan's face, and saying, "I'm just going to grin through this whole thing because you can't get me down."
0: I'm going to enter into this and actually offer my life along with yeah. Christ. Yeah, no, I don't I'm mean gonna, like a trait. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, going to yeah. smile and pretend everything's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, not th- that. Exactly. It's 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 this profound transformation and and right. like
1: hope in the face of what is. Um seemingly defeat. That's it. Which I think, if you don't have anything else on Job, is a great don't. segue into our psalm. I totally agree. And there's a re- do you know why I think that's a great segue into the psalm? Well, I mean I'm just curious. um give thanks to the Lord for this. he
0: is good, for his mercy endures forever. Like, yeah. like just understanding mercy is is something that's powerful. I mean, that, that's kind of what it is. It's, it's
1: like, it's like,
0: uh, but I don't know. You have, a, you have an insight, and I think I'm excited to hear it.
1: Well, so there's the psalm itself. There's the content of the psalm, which you can just read through, like you said, which speaks to this. But then there's what the psalm is actually doing in the scriptures as a whole. So. We've talked about this before. The, the Psalter, so all of the Psalms together, they're split into what are called five books. Right. So whoever, com- so the Psalms are written all over history, from the time of David, and you know who who knows, even Moses is ascribed to some of them, and, but they weren't compiled together and brought together as a book until around the time of exile, when they lost Jerusalem, when they were in exile in Babylon, and now they've come back and they're trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to live the life of the children of God in exile, without our temple, without our kings, without any of the things that made us, us. And so what the Psalms are doing, they're organized in such a way that they're going through the whole story of salvation history in in song, right? So the first two books, the first two chunks of Psalms are all about the king and the kingdom and how great it was and how glorious it was and how God was with us. And then you get to book three and they all get very dark. And the Psalms about why, where are you, God? The waters have reached my neck. Why have you abandoned me? All these things Retelling or reminding us about the exile when we lost all that, and then you get to book four and these these songs of kind of faint hope, I'm like okay, well, we've been brought out of the exile and now we're sort of here, so now what do we do? And it's these songs, based psalms, basically trying to find God in the midst of all these things. We know You're here, but we can't quite see You. That's yeah. sort of their theme. Then you get to book five, which is this is the first psalm of book five. Oh. Book five, again, these are compiled right after the exile. They've lost their identity. They've lost all the things that make them them. They've sort of come to the conclusion with the Psalms in book four that God's still there even though we can't see him. So book five is all about now what? What is God going to do in the future? Because we've come to grips with this idea that God is still God despite our own suffering and despite not being able to see it. Now we go beyond just saying, okay, we're just gonna deal with that, and we look ahead with the certain confidence that he's going to be glory he's gonna glorify us in the future. That and, and you get all the psalms about the kings reappear, all the Davidic Psalms show up again in book five because it's saying not only is God still there, he's gonna show himself, he's gonna calm this storm, and it's gonna be even more glorious than it was before the storm started. Mm. that's what book five is doing. And so book five is really all about the coming Messiah and what that's going to be like, because it's not enough for God to calm the storm. I mean, isn't this the way, you know, I'm I'm living up in the wilderness at Camboy and so we're dealing with all the elements, and we've had a lot of weird weather this year. And isn't it profound that, You get these, and especially in Colorado, we get these huge storms, these torrential downpours, hail, damaging stuff, right? It can knock down trees and damage your car. Yeah. But consistently after the heaviest, most brutal, darkest storms, you get the brightest rainbows. Mm. It's not enough for God just to calm the storm. He has to give us this sign that's even more beautiful than it was before the storm started. Yeah. and that's actually how nature works. So like the psalms it's not enough for god for us in our lives just to say okay god calm the storm. You know yeah. make this make this okay. God doesn't want to make your life okay. God wants to make your life glorious. But we as Christians sometimes just expect we just want to be okay. Yeah. I just want a life that's okay. We don't want a life that is saintly, that is holy, that's glorious that mm. will glorify god in the world. We don't want to be I told the middle school girls this morning I want you guys all to be on little holy cards on grandma's fridge 300 years from now. That's what I want for you. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't think that big. But that's what the psalm is doing. It's looking ahead to what's greater than that. Mm. And that's what Job is kind of doing too. I know there's more to this, even though I can't quite see it. Yeah. And that's what we kind of get the insight into in the gospel. So that's what I got on the psalm. I thought it was kind of cool.
0: That's really cool. And I I appreciate it. And I, I think that, you know, Going with this, some of the literary theme between these three, too. We also have water in the first reading, you know what I mean? Like, who shut the, in the sea with doors and then it's going to burst forth from the room, boom. Then we have. Um, Birth forth from the room. From the room. <laughs> and then we have the sea and ships going down in the great waters and works in the deep and heavens. Like yeah. there's a real creative theme, like yeah, creation yeah, yeah. theme going throughout all of these. Oh, yeah. Totally. Which I think is, is just really, I think it's really important and beautiful to to just start to make those connections, especially so at this beginning of, of something new, which yeah. leads us into Corinthians. It does. Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. Corinthians, oh, please. What, what we at the very last line, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Mm-hmm. The old oldest passed away and behold, the new has come. And, and I think that that's part of what's actually like, like God speaks in this first reading mm-hmm. in this Psalm. We're actually saying like, what, what now? Like this rainbow, yeah. rainbow yeah. moment, we'll call it. Yes. Like, uh, like, okay. You to be careful but, with that, but yeah. The, yeah. The storm, the storm has happened. Yeah. And now how do we how do we move like how, how do we actually experience the new creation? Yes. And then Paul
1: gives us the answer, which is, well, so so we talked about 2 Corinthians I think last week. I yes, think, a little bit. The gist again, Paul Basically ticked everybody off in 1 Corinthians. He said, <laughs> yeah, told totally to them all him. babies, excommunicated a guy, just got, got them all ticked off. And now they've come back in 2 Corinthians and say, you know what, Paul? We've thought about it. We actually hate you. We <laughs> think you are a joke. You are bald. You don't speak well. You, you're a terrible teacher. You're shipwrecked. You're imprisoned. You're always sick. You stink. You're, you're just the worst. Yes. You're nothing like the Old Testament big mighty figures who were warriors. You're not that. Right. And he comes back and he says, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is what makes me an apostle because I look like the crucified Lord. And I'm supposed to remind you of that brokenness so that you never mistake me as the one you're supposed to worship. So Paul in 2 Corinthians is coming to terms with his own suffering. And he's trying to show that why that is what Christians should look to is our own suffering. So Mm. in kind of light of that, what he says here is kind of cool. He says, brothers and sisters, the love of Christ impels us. Once we have come to the conviction that one died for all, therefore all have died. He indeed died for all so that those who uh, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's what I think he's kind of saying here, and he's going to continue in the next paragraph. But he says, look, once you come to the conviction that, that Christ actually died for you, yeah. you're going to come to the conviction that you've actually all died. If you're in Christ, you've died. Basically, what he's saying is, there's a storm raging around you, whether you care to realize it or not. We are in a world full of sin. We are in a world full of corruption. See, the Corinthians' problem, and he's going to bring this out toward the end of the letter, their problem is they don't like Paul because they don't like the idea of suffering. And the two admonitions, <laughs> well, they, that's yeah, true. Yeah, totally. I because,
0: just, I'm just laughing because it's like, yeah. That, yeah. Really, yeah.
1: And the two things he basically says, he gives, he he basically, the whole letter is a defense of himself, except for two parts. In two places, he encourages them to do something. One, he encourages them to um, to take up a collection for the suffering church in Jerusalem, right. which apparently they're refusing to do. They don't want to do it. And so he has to convince them. And then secondly, he needs to convince them to not, basically to break off their social relationships with the people who are bringing them down. You can't have these friendships that are going to turn you back to your pagan ways of life. We're going to drag you back to those temples and have you doing the things you don't want to do. And the fact that the whole letter is a defense of himself and his suffering, but he has these two admonitions. What those two admonitions are all about is, number one, they don't want to suffer. They don't want to be parted from their money. We worked hard. We don't want to have to spare anything. We don't want to sacrifice our hard-earned dollars for the church in Jerusalem. Wow. The other thing, we don't want to sacrifice our relationships. We might look bad. We might get made fun of. We might be shamed if we break off these social, um, social relationships. We don't want to give that up. So Paul's saying, you don't know how to suffer. And, and really what his conclusion is, is that, look, I've come to the conclusion that Christ has allowed me to suffer all these things so that I can understand suffering. And if I understand suffering, then when you guys suffer, which you inevitably will, even though you don't like the idea of it, you will someday suffer. I will know how to comfort you because God has comforted me in suffering. So God allowed me to suffer so that I could understand suffering so that when you suffer, I can come next to you and walk with you. Mm. Which is, again, this idea that you're in the midst of a storm whether you have your eyes shut or not. Like, you can sit on a boat in the middle of a huge storm and shut your eyes and pretend that it's not happening. But that's not reality. Mm. He says the reality is sin will bring death. Christ has died for that. If you want true life, enter into the death. Let yourself die. Let yourself go down to that water of baptism and be drowned so that Christ can raise you back up. If you don't accept that then there's nothing I can do for you. Mm. So more than anything else, it's, it's not just the Job of saying, why is God doing this? Mm. But saying, open your eyes and realize you're all Job in some capacity. Yeah. We're all suffering these things. We want to just look and point fingers and be like, oh, what a sucker that guy is. At least I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But realize, no, you actually are. And if you don't have the eyes to see that, then really woe is you because yeah. you've missed the whole point. And then you can never understand how profound what Christ has done if you don't understand the disease that you needed to be healed from in the first place. Yes. I think that's what I take from Paul's.
0: I, I think. And, that the- and then
1: he goes on. Like you said, though, I'm just sorry. I'm right. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Um, if you follow this, he says, consequently, if you if you realize this from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Because, again, like Job realized, there's more than meets the eye. There's more. There it is. Um, we are known according to the flesh, even if once, uh, even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him no longer. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. If you enter into that storm, if you let, if you unite yourself with the suffering Christ, then you will become a new creation. You will become like that rainbow that comes out of the storm. You can't have a rainbow without the storm first. You yeah. can't have. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another natural analogy for something that you can't have without something else. Well,
0: here I think this is an amazing segue, actually, yeah, into great. into the gospel today. Let's do it. I I found myself um, really focused on on a singular word okay. in this gospel, which okay. is "Gino says thy," which is well said, being filled with water, Ooh. filled to the brim. Oh, um, so, so what happens is that we, we know this Can I say scene. something really quick first? Yeah. And then I want you to draw that out. Okay. But,
1: but just on a very, um, common practical level. Yeah. This is the story, you know, Jesus is on this boat. He's been preaching, um, from a boat to this crowd. And it's like, he just stays on his pulpit on the boat and they sail out on their way. Right.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause everybody's got, I mean, there's so many people that he's like, he's like, we got to push out. out from this shore. We out.
1: We out. So they go and this huge storm breaks out. Um, Such to which the disciples are terrified. And there's
0: a bunch of boats with them, by the way. There's a bunch of
1: boats with them. What was the apostle's full-time job before Jesus? Fisherman. On this lake, probably. Yes. This is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is well known for its huge storms because the mountains on each side of it create a wind tunnel. Crazy wind.
0: I've been on it.
1: But think about this. If the Sea of Galilee is known for huge wind and violent storms— This is a storm that the apostles, who spent almost every day of their life on that lake, are now terrified by. Which tells me that this is a whole different level of a storm. This is not your... Because we think of, oh, there's a thunderstorm. They're freaked out because water's scary. No, these are fishermen. They live on boats. They know storms. This is something else. And if you realize how big that storm must be... Then you combine that with the fact that Jesus is sleeping through it. Yes. He's not sleeping through a little thunderstorm and the disciples are all overreacting. Well, he's sleeping through like a class two hurricane or three or what, you know, something huge. Which
0: is funny. This is the thing is if if you go back and you read, because it says, so that's very same day on that day when the evening had come. Yeah. He gives so many parables that these brothers are dizzy. <laughs> yeah. And and imagine, and, and like I've had to preach in the church without a microphone. Oh. And it's a full body experience because you're using your muscles and your lungs and your whole experience. Jesus was tapped. The dude was exhausted because he was... He was proclaiming and like maybe even going along on on the side of the thing because he could only preach to certain amounts at the same time. I bet you there were thousands of people there. I bet you're right. And I think that he preached this over and over again to people, saying, This is what the kingdom of heavens like. And I think so I think naturally he's just exhausted.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: And I think that all these people on the boats are T- uh, they're wiped because they've been trying to understand this is a right. bunch of parables and they're like what do you mean Lord and so he's like trying to help them understand and so like there's all these kind of this natural exhaustion yeah now the storm is hitting so bad but the, the word the word that's being used is the same word it's it, it's a uh, kind of defined like uh, um, the extent of its capacity it says the, okay. the translation is a little weak it says um, uh, uh, the so the boat was already filling Right. No, no. The the Greek is actually saying that this thing was about to capsize. Ooh. The boat was full. So it it's it, the same use, word is used when the temple is filled with smoke. Really. Yeah. Or, Interesting. Or the baskets are filled with fragments. Ooh. Really. Or jars filled with water. S- the sponge was filled with vinegar. Like, like. Oh. Uh, these are all the ways in which the same word is used, which is really kind of beautiful. You hate vinegar. I hate vinegar that I'm so mad at them for doing that on the cross to Jesus. And so like so this is so, so might as well put some mayonnaise up to his lips. Absolutely. So that leads us back to what we're talking about with Job and in Corinthians. Hmm. That what happens is that this is actually helping us to understand that the suffering that they are experiencing is filled up. It is they are okay. to capacity. Oh, Ooh, because that's actually the, that's the moment in which God actually finally breaks through. Yeah. In Job, you know, you know, there's that trite saying that says God can't give you, won't ever give you more than you can handle. Right. But he's going to really push that edge. Right. 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 <laughs> so, right. so here here's this moment that huh. th- they are in the midst, and now th- this brings us back. So that why why are we talking about the Job? The waters breaking. Well, it's saying from the womb. There's actually something being born here, something Ooh. new and beautiful that's that's about to take place, and and in the gospel, uh, the translation again is weak that we get. Um, he says, um, he says, "Have you no faith?" In verse forty, um, but if you if you look at verse forty, um, the um, why uh, fearful uh, uto exe uh, pistine. Why are you fearful? Do you not yet have faith? Huh. I think that it's actually a softer expression. Like it's almost like he's saying, like he's almost like it's a self-reflexive moment where he's like, "Do you like?" Because the father is actually going to be the one who's bes- going to bestow faith upon yeah, them, right? And so, because on the other side of this, and I imagine we'll get this next week, is the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the the, right. demoniac, the demoniac of Gennesaret. Yep. Of Gennesaret. I, I would assume. So they they travel through the storm. They're like, oh, and then he rebukes it. Everything's like quiet, and then they're like, oh, this guy really is master. Uh. This is for real. Like I think that they, because I think that part of what's happening is that they're getting pushed to an extent because they don't yet have faith, and like they are still needing signs, even at the place where they're most home. Huh. Dude, he took them to their home yeah. and took them to the capacity that they were possibly doing because wow. they're learning all this great um, intellectual stuff. Right. Um, I mean, this this is one of the problems with our Roman way of worshiping sometimes is that we're not very bodily. We're, we're, yeah, we, yeah l- that's like, true. We can have a tendency to actually just go and make this an intellectual Absolutely. exercise. Absolutely. That's why like the other week when we were up at Camp Waitiwa mm. and we were saying mass and the storm was like, literally we were in the midst of a storm and, and I was starting to have questions. The water was breaking underneath the, the main oh, tent. Yeah. Like things were, things were going crazy. I mean, it was like, it was, re- I couldn't even speak. It was so loud, the rain. It was intense. And so it's like that moment where all of a sudden bodily now, and I think that that's actually part of the paradigm of Camp Waitiwa is it's like, no, let's get into our bodies. Let's actually experience the faith in an embodied capacity and ask the Lord, do you show up when I am filled? Yes. When I don't know. And that's why like Father Brady just got back from the Camino. Mm. Man, does the Lord show up. When it is, when it's like all done, he actually, they were landing from from Madrid. They circled for like forever. And then they had to like go to Colorado Springs and they were going to fly back. they were out of gas. They were out of gas. It's (laughs) like, oh, it's just all these things. And it's, it's just like at the end of like flying from, from Europe, from Spain. Spain And it's one in the morning and it's like, Lord, do you still show up when I am totally filled? Right. And, and I think that that, that one. But I'm not going to pretend to understand. Because of a storm. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. This is the thing is it's like what how do we understand storms? Wow. Sometimes storms are just literal. The storm comes, it's real, it's embodied. <gasps> right. Guess what? Here we are. Yeah. And um That's it. And so the, the, this is the thing and was it, and I think that the part of this is is, is answered in do you not have faith? Yet, yeah. Yeah. Because cuz it like because we're seeing St. Paul, he's saying, "Look at me. I am destroyed. I am a worm and no man." Mm. Guess what? I've i di- already died. Mm. I'm already living this thing. Right. I I get to be in my. I you know I'm in my I'm in my body. I'm not in accord, living according to the flesh. Yeah. And yeah. um, in in salvation, I'm trying to bring these pieces yeah. together because no, they're I think kind you're doing of intense. It. And no, I
1: think you're doing it. Here's the other piece that I think is interesting. Okay. I, this might be stretched. This is a bit of a different direction, but it's. Still, okay. I, I think it's still there. Yeah. The formula. That Jesus uses. So the way that Mark structures this story, um, there's another story. See that just before or just after. I, I can't remember. When Jesus uses the exact same formula that he uses to rebuke the storm. Yes. To rebuke a demon. Yes. There is, um, right, something big is happening. There's a storm. There's a demoniac. Jesus, rebu- the, Jesus rebukes it, and he calls, tells it to be still. There is calm. And everyone's amazed. That's exactly what happens with the demoniacs that Jesus is casting out demons from. Why would Mark use the same formula, same kind of rebuke for Jesus interacting with nature as he is with Jesus interacting with a demoniac? Well, what it's showing, I think, the reason for that. Yeah, hit me. I mean, you can kind of relate this back to Job. I mean, Job, and I don't know even the literary way that Job is speaking here, but I mean, you get this impression that God is allowing Satan certain Liberties, right? Even over the natural world. Job gets just wrecked. Yeah. God has, for whatever reason, allowed the evil one certain liberties over this world. Jesus came. Remember when Jesus comes and he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days to be tested tempted? tempted? There's this weird line where Satan says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the earth. Yes. Jesus, you would think the logical response would be... You have no right. Who are you to give away the kingdoms of the earth? Yes. Whose authority is that? Yeah. Jesus doesn't say that. No. He simply says, no, you should worship the Lord alone. He doesn't dispute the fact that Satan is actually has some authority, some real power over the world. The world is not what it should be. Christ came into the world to—I mean, actually, Mark says it right after this, the whole story about the—, the, the um, what's it called? The binding, the strong man. He says, I have come to bind and plunder the one who has taken over this world. Yes. There is someone who has usurped authority on this world. Jesus came to take it back. But if we don't understand that there's a real battle going on there, then what Jesus did becomes just docetism. It just looks like he did something, right? It just looks like he defeated Satan. There's not, he's God. I mean, Satan's nothing. It's just this No, there was a real, actual battle. Jesus became embodied. His body was beaten. It was bloodied. It was crucified. The flesh, the natural body, was actually put to the test. It was put into war so that he could redeem it. Jesus is coming, especially in the Gospel of Mark, to go to war with the powers of this world, to go to war with the powers of weather, to go to war with the demons, to go to war with the strong man who has taken over this world, and he wants to take it back. Hmm. But there's a reality to that fight. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus is saying, yeah, the reason, I mean, this is what Paul is getting at, the reason that you can enter into that, into that storm is because Jesus is at the head of the boat. And if Jesus is captaining the boat, then we're fine, even if it looks like the waves are going to tip us over. If Jesus is the captain, the storm is real, but our captain's trustworthy, so we can actually brave that storm because we know that the captain's actually knows what he's doing. Does that does this make any sense? Hundred percent. Kind of talking now. No, no, it's it's a hundred percent, and it
0: it, it brings me back to your hair. (laughs) i rebuke my hair (laughs) the storm uh, the the power of his his ability i i think again back to tolkien he he um in his the creation story talks about how there are angels who are put in charge of the the elements of the world and Uh. And that the more fabulous things came because um, you had water, but then you would have Melkor and he would freeze it, and all of a sudden you'd get snow. It was, Melkor is the Satan figure, and so I then like snow though. I do too. And then they would say that these more fabulous things actually come about oh. because of these contrasts oh. that, that that are taking place. And so, so even though like the the, the apostles here are like. Are like Job in a certain sense, and, yeah, they are, and like Saint Paul, and like the the Psalmist, who's like saying like How do we go forward in the midst of this? Something like so, something powerful, kind of like the the rainbow that you were talking about after the storm is really coming, and that that like he took it. So I I I think that um, there's a lot uh, I, there's a lot to this. I think that the more obscure the readings we get, the deeper we end up going on some stuff,
1: man. You just said something that was. Made me think of something, but I... Oh, and just to wrap it up, I think you're right. But just, if you tie just the gospel with the first reading. Yes. Job is in the middle of the storm. He's coming to terms with the fact that he doesn't understand. And he comes to the conclusion that he sees God. Yes. He's amazed. Yes. Then you have the apostles in the middle of a storm, realizing they don't know what's going on. So what do they do? They see God, but they have the end of the story because they see God act definitively. Job sees God, and he understands he doesn't understand. The apostles see God. They understand they don't understand, but then they see the end of the story. They see the calming of the storm, and then they're going to live into the glory that comes after the storm. So they take it from where Job leaves off. They see what Job didn't have the eyes to see, but trusted was there, which I think is a neat connection.
0: Bam. Boom. Boom. Microphone drop. It's on a—, it's on a it's on a mic stand <laughs> we'd have to kind of get aggressive <laughs> yeah. man you you <laughs> that that was really beautiful dude i really enjoyed doing this podcast with you because can oh, i just dude, tell you that it's the best it's, it's like i feel like it, I, I, afterwards i leave so edified it's and, the best and i hope you all who join us uh feel that same edification of Indeed. like jumping into the word man like S- jumping into the sea like the storm, letting the waves crest over the boat. Like my hair, like your hair, like <laughs> the Japanese painting. Oh
1: yes, which I'm going to go look at. I think you should. Now. All right, guys, we will be back next week. You guys are the best. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Find us on Facebook. Send us an email if you like. And uh, we'll be back next week. Okay. God bless you. Bye bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.